0: If a small flock of cartoon bluebirds didn't help you get dressed this morning, that just means you haven't yet listened to Fine Tuning with Jim Hill and Drew Taylor. No, the black dress
1: slacks, please. Thank you. And now, Jim Hill. Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation news and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer, Jim Hill, and he and I are recording the show on Thursday, February 21st, which means that Mr. Taylor has no time to waste, because as soon as he finishes recording this episode, Drew must put pedal to the metal, he has to get out of Toluca Lake and get all the way to Anaheim in record time, because you're taking part in Minnie's Moonlight Madness tonight.
2: I am, yes. I, I was recruited as a, a trivia heavyweight, so hopefully I will prove myself worthy of, of inclusion in this great event, and I'm I'm very excited to run around tethered to three friends and spend all night trying to figure out clues and, and whatever else.
1: Now, uh, for those of you who don't know, this is something that was started for Disneyland cast members, eventually went to the East Coast to Disney World cast members, but now is opened up to all parts of the company right and it's yeah it's an after hours event where as you mentioned you're you're all bungee together and one member of the team has to be an active cast member or an employee of the disney company and then yes they can kind of ad lib for that and i know that because what back in the 90s i actually did this well one and a half times one uh, was living in florida one year I did it, we had such a good time, we ended up going the following year, but we brought Atlas with us, and you know, we're checking in, and the employee who's checking us in is like, you can't bring an infant on this thing. We were going to put her in snugly into it, and Michelle argued, <laughs> well, she took part in last year's, it's like, yeah, she was inside your body, not outside your body. <laughs> and eventually, you know, just that they wouldn't budge on this issue, and so they were going to let the team go forward with just three members, and... But at the meantime, so we wouldn't have to sit out in the cold with Alice in the dark, they were like, all right, we'll take you back to a conference room and you can sit there and watch television. And and the whole time, Michelle and I had kind of a, a rabbit season, duck season, well, you're going to stay with it. No, you're going to stay with it. You know, you're going to stay with it. And so they walk us into this conference room, turn on the lights. So this is the conference room filled with all of the concept art for what was then known as Phantasmic Hollywood, the version a phantasmic that they eventually build out behind the Beauty and the Beast theater. And then suddenly both Michelle and I are looking at all of this art and that sort of thing. Well, you're going to go take part in the mini's Magic You no, you, <laughs> I-, I won the toss and spent two hours in the room going over all of the art. And, Oh, it was a significantly different take on the whole phantasmic thing. In fact, it, it started off with a, a desert Island in the middle of the lagoon. And you had Mickey walk out and, He trips over something in the sand, he pulls it out, it's the lamp from Aladdin. He rubs it, and here's the genie, and, you know, what are your wishes, sir? And That's how his imagination got turbocharged. And the one other thing that I remember that was so significantly different about this version, and I want to say it predated Pocahontas by about a year or so, so there was no war canoes, there were no fighting on shore with Ratcliffe and all that, but there was a scene in it was, you know, the, the arena goes dark and when it comes back up again, Mickey is on stage seated behind this giant organ and he's wearing like the half face mask of the Phantom Then he's playing Toccata and Fugue and in the water as he's playing this piece of music from one side comes, I want to say like a half size version of the Nautilus with Nemo and Ned Land on it and coming in from the other side of the arena is a squid. And they they meet in the middle, and you know then Ned Land throws a harpoon, and it was just sort of like, I want to see that version of the show, but but they never made it.
2: I've never seen Fantastic at Disney Hollywood Studios. That's my confession. Okay. Um, All right. You're, you're, is it
1: is it worth it? How about them Red Sox, huh? <laughs> it's certainly not compared to the the version of the show I saw pitched. But again, they're supposedly redoing it for the fiftieth anniversary, so I I guess we'll see. And. Just be amazing to see how much Frozen they cram into it. And speaking of Frozen. Oh, uh, what, a, what a segue, Jim. What a segue. What a segue. Okay. <laughs> a Frozen tr- a teaser trailer dropped uh, last week while you we were away in Mexico City. Yep. Inside of 24 hours, 116.4 million people downloaded this thing online to watch it. And somebody at Disney actually has to make up their mind about what they're going to call this movie because there's we saw a lot of The press releases referred to Frozen 2 as in numerical 2? Right. It was just bizarre
2: because it was like Frozen 2, numerical 2, and then in the email Frozen 2, Roman numeral Mm -hmm. 2. And the hashtag is numerical, so I guess that's what
1: it is all about. It was talking with somebody at the company and they were like, they know from a search term, Frozen 2, numerical 2 is the one people really hammered on. But on the other hand... From a branding point of view, you know, it's the Roman numeral logo that you're going to see everywhere. Right. Lots of people talked about this trailer or are still still talking about this trailer. Compared to the Aladdin teaser trailer that dropped during the Grammys, this thing was gold. I mean, you know, there wasn't a bad shot in it and people were pulling it apart and trying to determine... Who the new characters were and the story for it. In fact, it, you know, and we got a little bit of an assist from Josh Gad. You were talking about what he put out on Twitter about the snowflakes.
2: Yeah. So if you look at the snowflakes, I think I guess there there are four symbols that each correspond to the Gregorian calendar's seasons, mm-hmm. and the assumption is that now, and this is this could be why. There's so much marketing stuff with those fall leaves. Mm -hmm. The assumption is now that that Elsa could control all of the seasons, Mm -hmm. that it's not just winter and snow, that she has kind of dominion over everything, which I think is a very cool idea.
1: I agree. But at the same time, I think what kind of shook people about this trailer is how it started. The whole scene of Elsa standing on the shore and she's battling these fierce waves and Using her magical ice powers to try to escape wherever it is she's trapped. And people are trying to figure, well, what's that all about? And first of all, Drew, are we allowed to talk about this? I think we can talk about it. Okay. We can talk about it. Sure, let's talk about it. So all right. Here we go.
2: If you don't want to know what Frozen Two is about, there skip, you go. skip ahead. Right. But if you're there, if we are we're all consenting adults listening to the plot <laughs> of Frozen Two. It is about Aunt Anna and Elsa searching for what actually happened to their parents.
1: And that's, I think, the brilliance of using that scene to kick off the trailer. Because first film, when did you see giant crashing waves? You saw it when the ship was pulled down. I love that literally hiding in plain sight is the clue to what this story is about.
2: Yeah, they're going to go beyond Arendelle. I thought the trailer was great. And you saw that it was a the most viewed animated trailer of all time.
1: 116... million people in in 24 hours.
2: Yeah. You know, they're they're doing more um, merchandise from the Comfy Princesses from Wreck-It Ralph 2 Mm -hmm. that they showed off at Toy Fair. Mm -hmm. And it was really interesting because all the stickers on the boxes said featuring the Disney Princesses. And then it was like, and, and then the Frozen logo, Frozen characters. So it was Disney Princesses and Frozen characters. They are clearly not ready to lump Anna and Elsa in with that group yet, even though they were in the scene. And Ralph Breaks the Internet. But it's sort of an interesting clue as to where the marketing is going. You know, you'll never know what you'll see at at Toy Fair
1: as well. I just sent you the photograph that came out of Toy Fair. Evidently, they had the Toy Story 4 room off the floor. But somebody managed to get a photo into the room while the door was open. And in the foreground, you can see Bunny and Ducky in plush form. But then behind them, up on the wall, is a character... We haven't seen it in the trailers. We haven't seen anywhere. It's a guy on a motorcycle. In fact, in a white outfit, wearing a helmet, handlebar mustache, and on the front of his motorcycle is what looks like a red Canadian maple leaf.
2: Yeah. That is Duke Kaboom. That is the Keanu Reeves character, who we can't really talk about yet, but... Who is my favorite character of Toy Story Four without having seen a a second of actual footage? But yeah, that's that's the character. He looks like a daredevil of sorts, and yeah.
1: Just this past week on uh Good Morning America, we yep. had Annie Pot show up and she showed a clip from Toy Story Four that is clearly from the footage. It's it's some sort of flashback set back in Andy's room and they sketch out very quickly that the RC racer character that we saw in the finale of the first film somehow yeah. has been left outside and this sudden storm has is, is come up and there's heavy rain and it looks like he's going to be he's in the side yard and is potentially going to be swept down the gutter and possibly be lost in the sewer suddenly we're we're in the bedroom and here's woody and bo peep acting as a team to decisively sort of rally the troops and go get ready to rescue rc and for three movies well actually two i mean the the bow was off the canvas by the time we got to toy story 3. this was a character that was made of porcelain who tended to sort of tend the home fires while other characters were off having adventures and are they going to really successfully be able to reposition her as kind of a badass who leads adventures? Or I mean, that's certainly the intent.
2: Mm-hmm. We got the names of the of her sheep. Mm-hmm. I was very into that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just interesting to see a flashback too that doesn't have any kind of like profound emotional resonance, like mm-hmm. Jesse's song or the story the clown tells in part three. This was just kind of a funny little thing and yeah it's kind of interesting that i guess they're setting up her transformation into this badass because all the images we've seen of her too she's got pants on you know or bloomers and, and she's got an entirely different look so that it was interesting to see them re-establish the old Bo Peep maybe before they reintroduce her in this new movie
1: i guess that's the thing we're gonna have to see this stuff in context and see if it works and It's Pixar. I'm willing to give them the the benefit of the doubt. This was not a planned trilogy. This was, we made the first one and, oh, people are interested. Okay, we're going to make a sequel. And then 10 years later, it's like, oh, hey, let's make another sequel. I just don't want this to be them going back to the well once too often and spoiling how we feel about, you know, the earlier three films. Because a bad sequel can do that. But before we get into tearing down a movie we haven't seen yet, let's talk about, a movie we have seen, and that's a short, Kitbull, the third now of the Spark shorts that's been released from Pixar. Yeah, what a great short it was. The one thing about this, and again, I think it's kind of the same flaw that Smash and Grab had, it's just a little too long.
2: At least we know why they were only showing three of them at the El Cap.
1: This is true, this is true. Added a half hour to the running time of of, The Little Mermaid. This was written directed by Rosanna Sullivan, produced by Katherine Hendrickson. And I honestly wish this had been the first short released online rather than Pearl. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I wonderfully observed a cat and dog, realistic animal behaviors filtered through a cartoon filter. Love how the relationship, you know, evolved for the two. Also, great art direction.
2: Yeah, it looked beautiful.
1: Yeah. And as a new dog owner, did you do recognize any of the behaviors?
2: Yes. I. Well, I really, I mean, not to spoil the short, but it, it is revealed that the dog is uh, sort of used for fighting. Mm-hmm. It's a pit bull. And uh, I thought it was brave of them to show animal abuse in mm-hmm. a short film at, that is aimed towards children. And it was really... Beautiful to see how people reacted to the dog and what the dog really was, you mm-hmm. know, on the inside. And having a little dog from Korea, from mm-hmm. the Korean meat market, um, I definitely loved seeing that side of things. So,
1: I was just today talking with my parents about Nova. And Nova had been at your house how long when I first got to meet her? Oh, she was, she was brand new. Okay. Yeah. yeah to show up at your engagement party and, who is this mellow, sweet dog working the room? And it's like, no, it's Nova. And it's like, you know, I mean, the fact that you and Katie were able to do that, to, to put the time in and this traumatized animal and just turn it into a sweetheart. I mean, just just an amazing thing.
2: Well, you know how how fun
1: working from home can be, Jim. <laughs> so this is true. I you get know, on the other hand. See, I have two cats, and it is frankly, they bury. They needle a complete. There is such <laughs> contempt. It's like, when are you going out? You know, please get out of the house. Oh, I want nothing for you. Get out. Speaking of, well, I don't know if trauma is the right word, but yeah, John Lasseter continues to have be having a tough time. Over at Skydance, just last week or thereabouts, they brought in Holly Edmond, is that correct? To, to be the new president yeah. of production under John? Yeah, and if you read between the lines, she was there to keep an eye on him, basically. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. You know, and I think also, in a way, to send a, a message to the community that, you know, that we're going to have a good, strong female hand in, in the production sphere, and then... What is it, two days, three days later, Emma Thompson announces that she's stepping away from Skydance's luck movie, that she... Well,
2: they had never even announced her as being in the cast, Mm -hmm. and I think it was leaked by a Hollywood reporter. Mm -hmm. But yeah, she had decided she was going to be the head of the good luck Mm -hmm. division in this movie. I guess this movie is about sort of bad luck versus good luck.
1: What's interesting about Thompson doing this is that if you take a step back, what ten years? She was there at Pixar. In fact, she voiced Eleanor for Brave. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, yeah, and she she knew what what happened back then. Mm-hmm. You know, the- so it's really interesting.
1: Yeah, I mean, for people who don't know, Jim, you can run down what <laughs> what happened on Brave. Brave was basically about Brenda's relationship with her own daughter. You know, sort of filtered through this piece of Scottish folklore. And it was a very difficult production. In fact, to the point Brenda was forced off, removed, stepped away. You know, it depends on who you talk to. I think the word
2: is fired. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, you know, what euphemism and Mark Andrews steps in and finishes, you know, it's a good polished film. But at the same time, in a lot of ways, this is what sort of started the perception or at least outside of, of emeryville that pixar was a difficult place for for women to work and boy did that then get confirmed by what happened with john last year but here's the thing i don't understand drew just before we start recording uh yet another story breaks about skydance about how they were supposed to be sponsoring the lightbox expo and uh you know a lot of folks in the industry contacted lightbox and said they were really uncomfortable for this largely because of Lasseter. And so Lightbox actually sort of disinvited Skydance as a sponsor. The other story coming out of Skydance is they've been inundated with with applications and demo reels and that sort of thing because so many people supposedly now want to work at this animation studio because John Lasseter is there. So what's the truth here? I don't know. I haven't heard any, anything
2: firsthand. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's a really interesting kind of, like, clash of ideology and culture. And I, I don't know. I don't know what to think or what to make of all this. Mm-hmm. Um, any well, guidance any of you have? Please let us, let well, us know. No, no, I,
1: I just I think that the one thing that sort of strikes me about this whole situation is I think in years to come when people are talking about the wrong way to return to work they're going to talk about John Lasseter and going to Skydance that, you know, this, this was too soon. There wasn't enough public penance or whatever it is that needs to be done to turn around the reputation.
2: Well, and there wasn't there wasn't enough private penance either, as we've often talked about. As he never apologized to anybody at Pixar.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, we're still what it's 2021 before luck was supposed to drop, right? Yeah. So we were still you know three years away from seeing the first Pokes Pixar film from John Lasseter. And if we get that, there's a, a lot of people now I've been talking with who were like, I don't know if he's going to last. If you were dealing with this sort of negative press day after day after day after day and people were nitpicking every single decision you made how long would you stay and especially when you are john lasseter you have all of your pixar money you're still a major shareholder of disney and you're more than financially set off your children are more than financially set off. why would you continue to do this
2: well neither of us has his ego so i think that's the really the thing that is setting us apart because <laughs> he's got this kind of pathological need to be out there and be the be the guy but we'll see how long it lasts i don't, I don't think it'll ever be his decision to step away i think it will always come down to some kind of
1: oversight coming down. but okay. who knows moving on here folks we're about to try something new here at fine tuning just come back after the commercial break and we'll explain what the new thing is And we're back. It's not so much a new thing to every other show on the planet, but it's new to us. It's, I guess, the best way to to walk this out, given a lot of folks are betting that on February 24th, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is going to do something extraordinary. It's the first Sony picture animation feature that's going to take home an Oscar. And... Right behind that is the home video release. Is that correct? Yes, it's what? on
2: digital on uh, February 26th, mm-hmm. then it's on Blu-ray in March, I think March 19th. So,
1: Are you kidding yeah. me? Two days after the Oscars, it drops digital? That's, oh, yeah, baby. Oh, that's that's cool. That, that's, yeah. That's very, very smart play on their part. Yes, okay. yes. All right, so you just yesterday were at the Junket for the home entertainment release for Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse and got to talk with some, to some obviously some fairly heavy hitters. I mean, first up was the actual uh, the directors, right? Peter Ramsey, Chris Miller, and, and Phil Lord?
2: No, Chris Miller and Phil Lord I did not talk to, but I talked to Peter Ramsey, mm-hmm. Rod Rothman, who mm-hmm. is the co-writer and co-director, and Bob machete who Mm. is uh he's a longtime disney guy he was telling me he animated uh with andreas deja on fantasia 2000 which is one of his
1: first Mm -hmm. things and i again i was listening to a little of the audio before we get started here today and you got them to talk about stuff that they wanted to put into spider-man into the spider-verse and one of them was actually a, a reference to the infamous Spider-Man musical, Turn Off the Dark?
2: Yes. I remember when I did the junket for the movie and I was, and I left and I went, oh my God, I didn't ask them about Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. Mm-hmm. Because I, I knew, it just felt like something that was in this universe. And they gave me a really great answer and we're going to hear it right now. I think the most important question, maybe anybody's ever asked you, is there a Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark reference? in this movie. And did you think about it? I think
3: there was. There was. There was. Really? There, was, there yeah. was. What was it? <laughs> there was. Uh, I mean, there Remember was. when they were, Aunt, they were at Aunt May's? Yeah, yes. they, we had a scene yeah. at Aunt May's before Miles comes running back in <laughs> uh, after what happened uh, with his family member, oh, uh, with an important wow. family member. Uh,
1: they were watch- There was yes. another
3: attempt to get Spider Man in the movie. They were watching the that dimension Spider Man movie. They'd made a movie about the real Spider Man, uh-huh. you know, and uh, and then all the Spider people started talking about what you know who played Spider Man in their dimension in their dimension. Oh, interesting. Uh, you know, and then um, and then Peter Parker, Jake Johnson, Peter Peter B Parker said there was a musical. In my dimension, it was written by Bono, and then everyone laughed. And he was like, "I'm serious. <laughs> like, I'm not kidding you guys. I really haven't." You know,
0: it was the it was the ultimate punchline.
3: Yeah, but uh, among other things, uh, we found that uh, after a super dramatic moment, you didn't want to then pull out and do like. Wacky Spider-Man jokes, and then go back to a super dramatic moment. Right? Yeah. yeah. Have Miles run through have the any, door? Have any
2: Have yeah. any of you seen Spider-Man turn off? Oh, of uh, I wish. No, uh-uh. I, I wish. Know. I always wanted. To, I wanted to go see the like really, yes. you know, flawed <laughs> one, and then come back and see the like rejiggered <laughs> one. I mean, yeah. it would have cost me probably five hundred dollars. I'm sure it's Spider-Man. awesome. And money well
3: spent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure it's awesome. The people, you know, Julie Taymor. I, mean, and, like, I know. You know. Like I know, I know. I know. Come like, on. like
2: like I'm sure it's awesome. But I mean, if you read about it, it's like you know this like psychosexual thing, like you know. Yeah, Sounds I mean, like, well, why you know,
1: not? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we were trying to do.
2: That's yeah, I mean, yeah. mission accomplished. Yeah. I think we did it a little bit better. Yeah. <laughs> um, I want to talk about the uh, like this crazy extended viewing mm-hmm. experience thing. Uh, <laughs> so, are there a sort of every state of animation is represented? I'm assuming mm-hmm. in this from storyboard? It is, but it's okay. yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, for sure. But it's not just simply like oh, here's peeling back the layers of our process. The all version of the movie is literally, um, like, we had a three-hour version of this movie. Uh This is a, uh, you know, a cut of that that incorporates as much finished film with it okay so so like our editors went back in yeah. after the fact after we killed them they spent a couple more weeks going like okay you guys want to do this alt version for the for the <laughs> blu-ray okay and like recut things that have been thrown away for a year and a half yeah you know and, right. and then we had to like look at the tissue the connective tissue
3: and like we yeah. recorded Jake, right? So yeah. So you're saying that the yeah we recorded a few the, yeah we recorded yeah. a few lines really? to just make the whole mm-hmm. thing to sort make of it flow, work, to make it hang together. Yeah, because
0: we we had such a I mean there was there's a very um, there's some radical different
2: yeah kind of the, the yeah you'll yeah. be you'll, cheer, you'll trip different. out when
0: you see the movie. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. very
2: excited. I mean, yeah. were, were there things that were fully an- like there's animated? a scene that's when like sequence. fully animated? Yeah. 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 Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. Is there anything that you're particularly excited about people seeing in that, this version? That one, well, for sure. Yeah,
0: you'll see. It's the it's, We always lovingly called it because it the, takes place on a billboard. The billboard. A billboard scene. Yeah. Okay. But um, it's a really fantastic scene between... It's great. Um, I was going to say Jake and Shamiq. Yep. Yes, Jake it and Shamiq. Yes. Yeah. Miles and Peter. We call them Jake and Shamiq. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, and they referred to each other by the wrong name and we we're like, oh, we can't redo it. But, <laughs> no, but it, it really was a scene that I mean, that's the one that's most emblematic of, like, this process. Because that was a scene that we put in different spots in the movie for a very long time because we loved it so much. And, and at one time it had a, a real definite purpose. 100%. And then we that purpose was lost um, because we accomplished some of that somewhere else. And then we were just hung on like, oh my god, look at the performances, look at the connection, like this, let's just hang out with them talking because it's so fun and yeah. it's, it's so engaging. It's, 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 a yeah. it's a real, yeah. it's and it's really engaging. Talk. But like the movie kept going like, dude, we don't need this, we don't need this. And finally we took it out and we were like, I guess we don't need it. But right. now it's in, Right. so you get to see, But I think yeah. that's the thing we were talking about oh. earlier that's cool about this is that you're gonna see all the things, you're gonna, I think people will recognize why choices were made because you'll see this and you'll be like oh yeah that's cool but like it's better without it right you know and if you just want a fanboy or fangirl off those two characters that scene's going to be absolute heaven oh yeah oh yeah yeah it's gorgeous
2: well obviously oh okay I was going to say that you know obviously uh, people can freeze freeze frame things now is there an easter egg that you're most excited about people discovering man Yeah. yeah I
3: really you know one I really like is uh um Miles, uh, Miles' book, his copy of Great Expectations, um, the image on the front of it is an image from the story of Great Expectations, and it actually visually sets up something that's going to happen to him about 15 minutes later in the movie. It's, oh, really? Yeah, it's, it's Pip in a, in a cemetery with Magwitch uh, grabbing his shoulder. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that's in, awesome. always <laughs> that, that, that was something that, that Peter uh, called that when we, after read Pip, Great Expectations, that I was just like, oh, that. We could get like ten more things like this in the movie. And then yeah. um, so right. It seemed yeah. like we planned it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah <right>. exactly. Somebody this. Yeah.
2: Do you guys have any uh, favorites? Um, I all,
0: I always say, you know, people. I just get a kick out of the names on people's and people's favorite favorites lists on their phones. Okay. Mm-hmm. But uh, then the other the other cool thing is just all the Stanley cameos. I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm really intrigued to see because I don't know where all of those are. Yeah. I, yeah. You gotta stuff. like it's a real frame. Like, you gotta sit and go click, 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 and you'll see... I mean, I can't... I, we lost count how many times is in there. Right. You know, so... Um, yeah, other than that, cameo-wise... Mm. You know, it's funny, because there's, like, little tiny things that... Oh, if you, yeah. If you really look, like... Um, there's, like, people on our crew that... Yeah. Only we know who there's they a are. Bunch oh, of, wow. There's a bunch of... Yeah, yeah, there's a bunch of people on our crew, including yeah. us in there. Yeah. And then... Um, uh, but... Doc Ock wise, there's a there's a version of Doc Ock um, that you just see tentacles and grabbers when, mm. with Gwen. Mm-hmm.
3: That's, mm-hmm.
0: And then there's also one in the very beginning that's not our Doc Ock. Um, oh, so really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's just yeah. like if you just like go a little slower and go. Yeah, yeah. I you'll can't see wait. It.
2: But the other, you know, the big thing too on
1: this home video release is there's a new Spider Ham short film. You get to talk with the, the two gentlemen who the the director and the producer of this thing, but. They also revealed that when they went to go get this thing animated, they picked one of our favorite little animation houses.
2: So when did development on the short begin in earnest? I mean, was it
4: during production? No. Okay. It was <laughs> quite close to the end of production. Okay. We didn't know that we were going to do this short. I don't think anyone had really thought about doing this or conceived of it until late in the process. So okay. We didn't there was not much time for development. We developed for a hot minute. <laughs> for one minute. <laughs> Very hot. <laughs> Very hot. We yeah.
2: quit Burning Bright. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, was it a chore to get Mulaney back to do the voice, or did you record that at the I mean, was he still doing pickups and things, or? No. Okay. He,
4: he had, we, we had finished recording with him, and so we decided we were going to do this ham short, and... Miguel started writing, coming up with ideas, and we're like, oh boy, I hope we can get Mulaney. Yeah, hope we'll do this, because if we don't have him, what are we going to do? Yeah. Yeah. And that was sort of the like the one big you know dictate from the executives was, well, we're going to get John, right? Yeah. No. And he said, and, we hope so. Yeah. We hope so. So we went out to him, and, okay. and he agreed, and we were so thrilled, so okay. thrilled. Yeah. It was such a relief.
2: Uh, I know this was obviously a very truncated time schedule, but did you actually think about doing it in traditional 2D animation like hand drawn or was that never on the table like cell like cell yeah this was
5: i mean Uh, this uh, was yeah i mean this was the closest we could get to that you know um just use like you know titmouse did the animation for our film mike carlo and his team a lot of them are literally drawing frame by frame uh of the short Uh um just on computers instead of celluloid right um but they did a, I, they did a really great job of like trying to mimic that organic quality like if you look close in the short there's even like a little bit of shadow behind the characters as if mm-hmm. it was like actually
2: celluloid yeah so we wanted to embrace that as much as we could and was the idea to always have it be this kind of prequel to the movie itself or was there were there iterations where it was just a completely separate gonzo short <laughs> <laughs> well there weren't
4: a whole lot of iterations oh know. really yeah there mean, a whole lot of time yeah but i think the when we first found out that oh the idea is oh i think phil said oh this should open the film oh really oh, yeah. open the film oh okay well yeah. gee i guess <laughs> maybe they should connect right
5: <laughs> yeah and so that's where that, that's kind of just was the natural evolution pretty early on that we're like if it's going to open the film and as it does in the uh, alternate universe uh, mode and and on the blu-ray It was just natural to be like, let's, you know, maybe we can just, through the back door, sneakily put a Spider-Hams Act 1 of his whole arc in the film. Right. (laughs) Like, plant these seeds uh, in the short that
2: we see come to fruition. Right. In the movie. Uh, You obviously worked on Spider-Ham in the movie as well. Are there any things that we should look out for in this enhanced uh, viewing mode with him? Or is this sort of the extent of what we're getting Spider-Ham-wise on this release? Do you mean there's other extra ham stuff? Yeah, because it sounds thing? like there's the movie will be sort of expanded with all the extra stuff put in, right? You know, I actually don't
5: know. Okay, that's a great question. Okay, I'm curious. Okay, I'm we curious have, myself. We have not seen the
4: final cut, right? About Universal. I think they no ju- one's getting the they just, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Well, like everything else, they just finished it. Right. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Real five fun, minutes ago. Right. Yes. Right. The code is all they had.
2: <laughs> uh, you talked about some of your inspiration for this short. Um, uh, could you talk about those a little bit more uh, in terms of Duck And, Muck? and I mean, sure. obviously, it seems like a lot of classic Looney Tunes and Disney stuff mm-hmm. was uh, influenced here. Could you talk a little bit about what those were?
5: Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, you know, we just, uh, you know, Spider Verse kind of established Spider Ham as this very postmodern, self referential, classic cartoon character, you know, complete with mouths that come out of nowhere, anvils that drop out of the <laughs> ceiling, you know, literally saying that's all folks. So we just took that seat and we just really, you know, I was obsessed with cartoons growing up like a lot of kids. I just never stopped watching them, I guess. And so this was just an opportunity just to make a loving homage of all the classic cartoons I love while at the same time playing with this kind of wall, fourth wall breaking idea that Spider-Ham does so well. And, you know, it's kind of... Which is a blast to explore all those influences and also just come up with as many puns as you possibly can.
2: Yeah. (laughs) And you showed some of the concept art of him throwing the star, you know, that he saw that was left over from the very first designs uh, that you guys did. Totally. Was there anything else that didn't make it into the movie but made it into the short? That's the biggest one, I
4: think. Yeah. I'm trying to think. But you, but the portal with this hole, yeah, that, that didn't make it into the short. That didn't um, make it in the short. Um, but that was one of his powers that Miguel had explored early on in exploring the movie. Uh-huh. But had he been able to do that, he would have been far too powerful. <laughs> and then there's a collider that yeah. brings different dimensions together. So if him is jumping through them, how is that going to work? Right.
5: It just ultimately made him like clearly the strongest and most capable spider person
2: this is him <laughs> taking off his logo and yes. re- going through it yes, yes. right okay. so
5: like at a certain point it's like you have to fight in a weird way your rules right uh what this character can do because if he becomes too powerful then it's just like well just spider Man. i mean he's gonna
2: save the day <laughs> right well so what were your sort of what was the internal logic that was governing this character besides not being able to Jump through wormholes. You know, it's just was like based
5: on on just like iteration after iteration, like the directors were saying, you know, it's just we did a lot of versions of him using the portal. I certainly try to smuggle as many (laughs) examples of him using the black hole as possible. But, you know, it's just like we just kind of like learn step by step throwing it up at the wall, see if, you know, if it's working. And then pretty clearly it was just like, oh, is he going through a portal if he's using that? Like, is he going back to his home world? What's going on here? Right, <laughs> And so then it's just immediately, as soon as you throw the audience off a little bit, you're like, okay, let's step back.
2: Right. Obviously having a home video release, you're going to be able to, to sort of go through these this movie step by step and frame by frame. Are there any particular Easter eggs that the two of you love and are excited for people to discover on home video? On the, the desk? Yeah. On the, the film? Well, yeah. Yeah, on the, yeah, the main film. That's a great question. Um,
5: I, I you know, Rodney Rothman, one of the uh, the directors on the film, he asked so many people for just, like, different alt versions of names and institutions you'd find in New York. Uh, and being a big comic book nerd myself, I really kind of embraced name-checking different comic book uh famous spider-man comic book artists and writers uh-huh. so if you see stuff like ramita raman out there uh you know that, that was really fun
4: yeah <laughs>
5: anything
2: that you remember or no no, no
4: I, I think i mean the Times square you know uh i i worked on a Times square square promotion uh that went on a jumbotron in Times square so i think the the when the directors are going through all the things in Times Square, it's, it was it's kind of amazing because you can do quite a deep dive into that. Uh, yeah. All that signage, Coca Cola. I know that's I know that's uh, kind of quite one of the big ones that you can't really miss. Right. Um, but that was super fun. That when we found out that we could actually do that. Oh, you did it in Times Square. Uh, we oh, you... we did a Times Square execution, but uh, what I mean when we found oh it, we when could you do found it, for the it film right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Where would you like to see
2: Spider Ham go yeah. next? God, I mean... Saturday morning
4: cartoon. Uh, I mean, like, where where, where do you see him? I mean, the thing the thing about this character and what I, I think was kind of fun is that in Into the Spider-Verse, we got to see what it would look like if a classic cartoon character were in in Miles' much more realistic 3D world. Mm-hmm. And it worked. And it was kind of amazing that it worked. And so then we took a step back and we said, okay, what does he look like in his world? And it was this 2D cartoony world. And so now we've kind of shown that that can lend itself to anything yeah i think there could be many more shorts of him i think it would work great in tv i think he could have his own feature i think um and i'd love to see and do all of those things um i think that's kind of i think we we're, we we showed that to the world he, he belongs everywhere
2: <laughs> well, now you've got me thinking about miles coming
4: into his world that'd be really fun yeah <laughs> well, thank you guys so much it was so nice to
2: nice. nice. get to talk to you yeah, yeah. thank yeah. you so nice. much have yeah. a great day you Take too care. There you go. Titmouse, our, one of our faves, mm-hmm. doing some animation. And it's so funny because Sony does so much animation for other people. Mm-hmm. Um, they did uh, Smallfoot for Warner Brothers. It was an entire movie. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, they could not get this little animated short to happen. But it's really cool. It acts as kind of a prequel to the movie, which I thought was interesting. Just to let you know who that was, I was Miguel Horan, who mm-hmm. is the director, and producer David Schulenberg. So they both put, produced this great short called "Caught in a Ham." Are you excited to watch it, Jim?
1: Spider Ham character w- was out of a film that had so many wonderful pieces, so many wonderful characters that that was really sort of the cherry on the sundae. And it's it's nice to see him get his own short. More to the point, them just sort of talk about what else they could do with this character. So. Do you think that was a success? You tell us. Well, no, that's it exactly. This is our first time, folks, sort of, you know, bringing in audio from outside interviews. And as we said at the top of the show, Mr. Taylor has places to go this evening. So where else can they find you uh, other than Disney's California Adventure Tonight in the Dark? Bungie, to three other the yeah.
2: yeah. Well, re- I really want to plug my uh, Mission Impossible podcast, Light the Fuse, mm-hmm. because in three weeks Mm -hmm. we are starting a three-part episode with brad bird the director of incredibles incredibles 2 iron giant and mission impossible ghost protocol it's an amazing conversation it lasted about three hours and it is awesome so i can't wait to hear it for you guys to hear it
1: oh my god that is such a great
2: get yes holy cow we were we couldn't believe it so
1: yeah even the non Brad Bird episodes of *Light Diffuse are well worth seeking out. I mean, I, I love I hope so. you guys take on on the whole Mission Impossible franchise and all that.
2: Yeah, this week we're doing a thing with the uh, we we found the script for Oliver Stone's version of Mission Impossible, and it is insane. So we talk about it. Uh, this is an uh, an episode that would have had. Tom Cruise going into a sort of virtual reality for about 40% of the movie. There was an evil um, artificial intelligence. That was the bad guy. Yeah. Lots of stuff. Lots of really weird <laughs> oh, stuff. Yeah. Cool, cool,
1: cool. Oh, my God. Yeah. Okay. Well, on, on my side of the fence, there's obviously the podcast that started all Disney Dish with Lentesta. We have the Marvel Us Disney podcast, which I do with the amazing Aaron Adams. Looking at Lucasfilm with Dan Z. We have Universal Joint with Dustin Fuse. And we have the brand new podcast, the I Want That, with Michelle Valladolid, which I'm going to be recording a new one of those this weekend. And that's also great sort of therapy for you two, I feel like. (laughs) Alice would not agree, but, you know, hey, (laughs) all right, anyway, like I said, Drew's got places to go, but we will be back after he gets back from from Minnie's Moonlight Madness with a brand new fine-tuning next week at their boat. So until then, folks, on behalf of Mr. Taylor and myself, good night.
0: Be sure to tune in again for another fine episode of
4: Fine Tuning with Jim Hill and Drew Taylor.